Hey guys, Luke here. Thank you for tuning into the episode. This is number 13 of the Lammy Show. And today I had the pleasure of having John G. Dew on the episode. He is the co-host of his own podcast called the Millennia Media Offensive, where he looks at political things and tries to make light on how we can come to conclusions with them. But in this episode, we looked at taking accountability of our actions as young men, the state of college and the lifestyle that that has for itself and finding solutions for the information age where there's two different sides of things and there's two different stories for the two different people, one person on the left, one person on the right, and they're getting two different stories. So how do we come to a conclusion? Is it something we are talking about here? And his show tries to do that. But listen to this one. I think you enjoy it. Not as health related as the other episodes, but it's definitely a good one. All right, John, thank you for coming on, man. appreciate um, you stopping by and talking with me. So thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to be here, Luke. I, I actually owe you another appearance whenever you want it because <laughs> I completely uh, forgot about our first um, appointment. I, we had it scheduled for the same time, you know, 7.30 my time in the morning. And about 6 o'clock, my grandpa called me and I, I've just moved home um, to where my my parents and, and grandparents live. And he called me about six o'clock and asked if my wife and I would want to go with him and his wife, uh, my step grandmother, to um, to help them pick uh, something like seven, eight bushels of tomatoes at a, a you pick farm. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was like, oh, yeah, of course, uh, come by and pick us up and we'll we'll go with you. And we were gone until about noon and about nine o'clock is the first time I looked at my phone that morning and saw that you had messaged me and felt terrible. Yeah. So I, um, formally want to apologize <laughs> for that and say that anytime that you want me on the show again, I, I owe it to you. All right. Well, yeah, that's fine. Cause like, to be honest, my whole show is about like being healthy, not going on your phone and all that. So the fact that, you were doing that with your family to me it's like i don't know it's just some like zoom call for me you know um it's not as important but obviously i do love that you're now on the show and that you made it up to me with a future appearance so how did you get into podcasting yourself and wanting to like start sharing more about yourself on the internet well getting into podcasting started with listening to a lot of podcasts um working as soon as I got out of college. I don't think I really listened to many podcasts in college. I was a lot more into music and, you know, trying to trying not to listen to just what was on the radio, but finding bands that were touring college towns and, you know, really up and coming music to listen to. Um, And then once I started working in the standard office environment, I got more into listening to people talk because you know, listening to music is great, but it can only go so far when you're in front of a computer for eight, 10 hours a day. Mm -hmm. So I got into some, some podcasts, uh, like the Grimerica show, of course, Joe Rogan. And that led me to a show called no agenda with a former MTV VJ, Adam Curry and, um, John C. Dvorak, who is a, who was a columnist for PC magazine and really made a name for himself writing about about technology. And they started doing a news 
podcast, uh, media deconstruction, really. And they broadcast live and they have a chat room where people can join and talk amongst themselves while the show is going. So I got into getting in that chat room, you know, just as a way to keep me at full capacity while I was doing a, a, a regular job. Cause a lot of times, you know, with a, a lot of the jobs I've had, I can put, you know, I can do the job that I'm doing and still want to be doing something else at the same time and, and do it successfully. Um, so I would be in this chat room and I'd be talking about what they were talking about. And someone reached out to me through the chat room and said, asked me how old I was. And I said, I, you know, at the time, I think I was 28 and I said 28 and I asked why. And uh, they said, I thought you sounded a little younger than everyone else in here. I said, okay, well, I, I understand that because this is a show hosted by two guys that are over 60. Yeah. So you'd think that, you know, the people that they know and that follow them would be older. So I was like, okay, that's cool. Someone else my age is listening to the show and they could tell that, you know, by the way, I was talking about things that I was younger. And this guy turned out to be my now co-host for the Millennial Media Offensive, Dan Gehring, asked me if I wanted to do a podcast similar to No Agenda, but more focused on social media and things that affect people our age, uh, millennials, you know, mm. and Gen Gen Z and a little bit of, of Gen X. We sometimes venture into um, network media and things that pertain to older generations. But I told him no. I said, no, I, I don't have time for that. Uh, you know, I, I was at full capacity doing my normal job and, you know, doing my little things on the side during the work day. And he said, okay. And he kept asking me um, week after week, we would find each other in the, tr in the chat room. And he would ask me, have you thought about that podcast? Have you thought about that podcast? I'd tell him no a couple more times. And then finally, toward the end of 2021, I said, okay, let's, let's get on a call. Let's talk. Um, if you, he had told me that he already had the internet radio stream going 24 seven. So essentially he, um, he said, I've already got the infrastructure. I just need someone to do the show with. So we got on a call, hit it off, of course, because we were, you know, we found each other in the same chat room for a product that we both enjoyed. So we hit it off. We started recording podcasts and the first few, I think we'll keep in our pocket forever <laughs> because <laughs> You know, it was working out audio kinks. It was really getting to know one another because we had never, we had no experience with one another outside of talking in a chat room. And then we started officially publishing the podcast in January, 2022, the first Tuesday of January, 2022. And we've published nearly every Tuesday since then. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's my podcasting journey. Um, I've, I've done a couple of other shows. I think you heard me on Case Bradford's Peak Earth. Mm -hmm. um, and we've, we've done a couple of shows that are featured on the same um, radio stream that we're featured on live. And we've been guests on their show, but that's not uncommon, you know, for 
shows within the same realm to to ask people to come on and be guests. Yeah, I think on their shows. I think I had a similar journey as far as when I was doing a different job and it was kind of just driving around and I was like, all right, like let me throw on a podcast. And I really got into like audiobooks and podcasts during that time. So I think jobs like that where you're just doing either like landscaping or just driving around, it's such a good opportunity to like fire up a podcast. And then I think everyone who's like done a podcast, it's because they've listened to so many and they're like, all right, I have this knowledge that I might as well share now. And I'm only 22 now, but like I started getting into podcasts probably when I was like 18 or 19. And I was just like wanting to do it myself, but I I didn't have anyone to like talk to it about. Um, And I felt like I was like unqualified, but I was just like, all right, I'm going to do it. Like whatever. Um, The, the, the imposter syndrome is real when you start a podcast. Hundred percent. You, you don't you don't feel like you should be doing what you're doing. You don't feel. I mean, we talk about geopolitics a lot and mm-hmm. try to piece together what's going on around the world because people look at the news and it can be, especially for people our age and and younger, it can be a little confusing because a lot of us don't have the background of the history of what's happened between these countries. Um, why certain countries may be acting the way they're acting, the incentives they have, because we're not told that stuff in the news. We're just told this is what's happening. And if you're a good boy, you'll, you'll accept it and go on with your life. Um, so for us, without any formal education in geopolitics and the inner workings of, of geopolitics, when we start talking about these things that are going on on the world stage and and just asking questions and thinking about what could be going on, um, it 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 can feel like, wow, why am I talking about this? And that that applies for anything. Um, there are very few people who take a an expert, you know, degree or or an expert mind that they have about something, and then turn that into a podcast. A lot of times, they're going to be, you know, professionals who are paid for their service and usually do, I mean, telehealth is a big thing now, but, um, usually are providing their knowledge in person, but I love the, the, just the ecosystem of, of knowledge that's building through podcasts because it's, it's really hard to stifle it. It's hard to stop. And I'm, I've always been a big proponent of every idea, every opinion that's out there has the right to be there. And it's every, it's the consumer's, um, duty to take those opinions and figure out which ones are worth credence and which ones aren't. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think like with the power of the internet, it's good that like people are now questioning things more than they were able to, cause they just didn't have all that like accessible information. So even if things like don't necessarily agree with your opinion, just being able to see both sides, I think has really opened up a lot of um, stuff for me. I don't really like, get into the politics too much but i just know like during the covid thing like i was just so swayed one way and it was just because of like the people that like my family and just like what i was consuming at the time and it's like i see there's like so many different perspectives and i've heard something it was like if you're not understanding like someone else's side it's just because like like if you were in their same shoes and you grew up with everything they had experienced in their life, you would have the exact same like views they have. So don't be like, Oh, like 
this person supports so-and-so president. So they're an absolute wacko. It's like, it, no, if you right. were in the same situation, you would um, have done the same thing. So I guess for politics goes, like, how do you try to sort that out as far as, um, like, were you always into politics or like, did you like suddenly like get into that? Or like, how did you decide I was going to like care more about that? than some I, other things? I was always, I always had a, a political bend um, while I was sort of spinning in college, looking for what I was going to do with my life. I always had the idea that I might find myself in law school and end up doing something related to politics. I never saw myself as the kind of person who would get up on the stage and, you know, give the, the rah, rah political chants and, mm -hmm. and speeches. But I always knew that I, I had the mind for sort of analyzing what's going on and, and seeing things for what they are politically. Um, but it, it was easy for me to get into politics and talk about politics because I've always, you know, been interested in that. And I think that was born from seeing that there we live in in such an amazing time technologically, but there's still a lot of problems and even some problems that have been, you know, birthed by technology. And I was always interested in solving those problems. And some of the solutions were so simple to me that it, it drew me in to start as saying, okay, why haven't some people figured out that this is the way this should be handled? And then that mindset eventually matured into, okay, I see why these people believe what they believe and why they don't see this as a solution. And that's really the core of doing, I think, good analytical work when it comes to anything political. And more and more things are becoming political today um, is realizing that there, as you said, there is a reason certain people hold these beliefs. And the only way to really come to the best conclusion is to take all of these opinions for what they are and decide which one works best for you and then insert your opinions into the marketplace of ideas because that vigorous uh, competition of ideas is the only way that we get progress politically and societally really uh, and the i think the the worst thing one of the worst things right now um it, we talk a lot on on the millennial media offensive um dan and i about information warfare and i mean you can see that in almost anything today and it's just because the sheer amount of information that's available to us it's it's unprecedented in history We've never been bombarded with more information than we are right now today. And a lot of people don't have the tools to deal with that information. So they resign themselves to their favorite commentator. And well, my, my commentator says this and what he said made me feel good. So that's what I'm going to carry with me day to day. Um, and then a lot of people don't get beyond that, but sadly, um, those commentators have usually have alternative agendas or goals for getting people to like what they say. Um, a lot of times it's, it's viewers, you know, money. There are alternative goals to wanting people to come to the best conclusion. And that's what we try to do on the millennial media offensive is just provide the highest quality information that we can. We, we sort of 
aggregate all the information that we can find and then present it and on the show try to go back and forth and say okay does this seem right Um, why would this person be talking about it this way is there any influence there that we might need to consider when we're considering their version of events Um, and a lot of people just don't know getting back to what i was saying about one of the the most detrimental things today a lot of people don't know how to deal with all that information and i think that is really doing people are doing themselves a disservice by resigning themselves to commentators by adopting the opinions of people who are popular online and not really thinking about why is this information here how what's its goal in influencing me and why does this person want to influence me with information and i think it's all part of a broader information war that's going on and it it has been going on for a while and it only makes sense that people would use information to try to sway people in a certain way for their own goals and i mean that's that's no it's no surprise to me when it when it clicked that that's what was happening but I think we've got a long road ahead for people to realize that information is being used um, to influence people and to to affect people's opinions and their attitudes toward things. And I think it has a lot to do with what we're seeing with people being at one another's necks. I mean, no, everyday people who shouldn't be just because someone believes something differently than you. I mean, that's the whole idea of America is that we can believe what we want to believe and go and conduct ourselves as a single country and get along with one another and go on with our days believing what we want to believe. But we've come to this place where people are at one another's throats over what we believe. And I think that's, that's partly by design. And it's a result of this warfare where the weapon is information. I was thinking when you were saying that just about like, so in the past when someone would tune into like the news or like any information, they would have to like personally go to like Fox or CNN. So they would be more conscious of the fact that they're actually like tuning into like a Republican or Democratic side of things. Like they would Mm -hmm. know that. But nowadays, if you like go on like Twitter or like Instagram or whatever, and you're consuming political content, you technically don't really think that you're like choosing a side, but like, but, but like one person is going to get a huge, hugely different side of things than the other person based on like what the algorithm gives them. So do you think that's part of it as far as like, is that what you consider like the information warfare side of things that like people are getting two different perspectives on the same event. So it's hard for them to come to like an agreement when they're literally like one person is seeing what Trump did as the best thing ever. One person saying what Trump did is horrible. Like, how are they supposed to come to agreement if they think the event is two different things, you know? Right. The, the algorithms have created uh, two different dimensions, essentially, where you have, um, let's just say dimension A and dimension B. And this is, this is an idea that uh, when I first started listening to the No Agenda show, this is something they were talking about. But essentially, you have dimension A people who see something in one light and then dimension B people who have been conditioned to see it in a completely different light. And they've both been conditioned. I don't mean that one side is conditioned and one isn't, 
They've both been conditioned, but it's according to what they sought out in the first place. So they're never Mm -hmm. exposed to challenging ideas. And by the time they may be exposed to those ideas, they're not capable of dealing with them. So they, they only respond to them with hostility or they, um, you know, just dismiss them out of hand. And that's why that you're absolutely right. We sort of, the algorithms sort of create these echo chambers that people harp on. It's not that we're going out and saying, find um, search results for everything that I agree with. (laughs) You know, that is, that's a mechanism that's happening on the back end. When I search for, you know, if I, if I have a habit of searching for domestic terrorism or, um, you know, a, a history of going to WebMD maybe for my ailments or what might be going on with me, then I might be exposed to certain things online. Whereas if I search things like, I mean, this is a, it's just top of my mind because I just went and saw this movie. But if I search for things like child trafficking or government corruption or anything along those lines, I'm going to get a totally different result if I search the same thing that that other person searched. So it's these artificial um, echo chambers that people are driven into, and it's all for clicks. It's all because, okay, we know you're going to enjoy this. Our goal as these companies that put together the algorithms, it's not to challenge people because we want people's attention. And the assumption is that most people don't want a challenge. They're looking for something that's going to make them feel good, that's going to reinforce their opinions, and that's how we're going to get their clicks. That's how we're going to get their attention. And that's how we sell ad um, mm. dollars. That's how we get advertisers to come to us instead of our uh, competitors. I've even heard of like some things on like the Joe Rogan where he'll pull up like an article from something and like the the header or whatever says like something happened. And then like underneath, it's like, that was just a report. It didn't actually happen. So it's just like nothing like... I don't know. No one wants to, I'm not going to say no one, because I'm sure you probably want to like dig into the details, but like most people are just like, give me like the quickest, like what happened. And like, that's the problem. Cause it's like, if so-and-so is just getting like, let me just see like what happened last night on Twitter. And like, obviously everyone like falls victim to it. Cause like whatever we're searching, that's what we're getting. But like, unless you really like dig deep under the deep, kind of like behind the curtain so to speak you don't really understand the whole picture and i think as like you were saying like as people get more divided i think it's like mostly due to like technology as far as like we're just on our phones too much and like we see someone as just like completely different but it's like if i just saw you in person i wouldn't have like said what i said or like thought that you were some like alien creature but like you're just a person like me that has a different perspective so i think technology is bringing us apart and somehow we need to try to reel it back in is that what you were saying as far as like earlier like problems and solutions is that have to do with that and so can you kind of explain what you're saying yeah and that that's why i was interested in politics to start was i saw all these problems wanted to get to the solutions and then, like I said, I, I saw that, you know, that other people see these problems, but they come at them at different angles because of 
you know, their background, the way they were raised, the different problems they've seen that I haven't seen. And that really got me to this place where I knew that holding all of these things in my mind at once and sort of hashing out the problems with the way I see things and the problems with, with they see things and, you know, the pros and cons of both viewpoints is the best way to, to come to a, the most rational mind about things. And that's what we try to do on the millennial media offensive is hash these things out on the show. And what we're doing is essentially trying to do that work for people and present the results in a, a comedic way. Essentially we, call ourselves a comedy show. We talk about a lot of serious things, but we try to have a presentation that's more lighthearted just because people aren't trying to tune into something and be bummed out every Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're not trying to get the outrage clicks that a lot of these partisan commentators are going for. And, you know, that is, it's understandable why they have an audience because we do, we, we love to be outraged about things. It's, I think it's part of our nature to anytime there's a problem to be outraged by it because that outrage historically has led to a solution for it. But in the past, our problems were much more immediate. And if you were outraged by something, chances are it was going to be solved pretty quickly. And now that our problems are distant and sort of ethereal, where we don't really know how to start attacking them or how to start making a difference, you sort of just get this outrage dead end where you get addicted to the outrage, but nothing ever happens. And to tie it back into health, that's not healthy to just be outraged all the time and never have any solution, any release for that outrage. And it builds up and it it shows that it builds up in people because you have in people in real life actually being outraged at one another, just because, you know, I said, you know, maybe I voted for Donald Trump and Oh, wow. Uh, You know, you say that in some places and think that you said that you kidnap children for a living. So this the outrage is a real problem, but I think going back to the the problem and solution mindset, the only real thing that can be done about it is to give people the tools to look at these problems and figure out for themselves what is the real problem here instead of, you know, what am I being told the problem is? figure out what the real problem is, and then they can start taking baby steps on their own to fix these things. And enough people taking baby steps to fix things leads to real change um, in a culture, in a society. And as dispersed as people are that care about the same thing today, that's what it really takes. It comes down to the individual deciding, okay, this is what's going on here. I've educated myself on what's going on here. So I'm not going to be dismissed by someone who thinks about it differently than me. And I can start taking actions and being a good example in the way that I want things to go. And that'll lead to, well, one, it'll lead to my effect on the world changing because I've made these changes. And then also I might affect people in my day to day as I'm going about making these changes. And it's, 
it's a very slow, deliberate process. But I think that's the best way that the problem solution framework takes shape in our very distributed and well, I guess distributed is the best way to put it, our distributed culture, because the people that care about certain issues and that see problems aren't necessarily in the same community anymore. You could have zero neighbors that care about the same problems that you do. Um, so you really have to find a way to implement this problem solution framework in a distributed way. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's a real challenge. Uh, because like I said, before it was just okay we've got a problem in our community we get together we solve it and it's yeah. it's no big deal the outrage is gone there's a release for whatever we were upset about and it even brings the community closer together because we've solved a problem together and now we have no experience solving problems in a distributed fashion and i you know that's just my best stab at how to reinvent this problem solution framework in our digital technological age. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, when I think about you talking about politics and just being um, like informing the informing yourself rather than trying to be informed by other people, it just makes me think about the health side of things as far as like, it's kind of the same boat, like, we thought for so long that we would just pretty much give our health to their doctors and just say, all right, you know better than me. But I think people are coming around to the fact that you have to take personal accountability for your life. So whether that be politics, as far as um, making sure you're not just listening to like whoever's on like the TV telling you like what they think and like they're pushing their agenda. Like some of these other people like doctors or other health officials might have their own agendas And it's not to say that like we shouldn't listen to anything they say, but just take it with a grain of salt and try to do some background um, research yourself. Um, I don't know. I was just thinking about this, but like for like young men, it seems like a lot of them are just like struggling, whether it be like mentally, physically. So I wanted to ask you like what advice you would give to yourself like when you were like in your young 20s as far as how you would uh, sort and navigate this, this weird time that we're in right now? I think the biggest thing, if I could only tell myself one thing going back to, um, I mean, I went, I, I went to college early to do summer classes when I was 17 and I knew older people in the college town that I went to. So I got thrown into this party college gauntlet early. Mm -hmm. And I think going back to maybe 18 year old me after i had had a taste of it and, you know, wasn't, I didn't have the mindset I did when I left home of, Oh, I've got to, I've got to be involved in this. I got to see what all the fuss is about, you know, going to college and, and being here. I think at 18, maybe 19 years old, I would go back and I would tell myself, think about where this leads and consider that eventually you're going to want to change your habits that you're, you have now. 
and then ask yourself, why are you postponing that change in habit? Mm -hmm. And when you answer, well, it's to have a good time, consider the value of that good time you're having and ask yourself, why can't you have that good time? If the good time is based on the people you're around, then why do you need these other things that you believe enhance the good time? Why do you need those things if it's really about the people you're around? And if it's not about the people you're around, then maybe you should really do some thinking about where you are, who you're around and what you're doing. So I think the biggest thing is just look at your habits, decide where, look at your habits and map that out. You know, 10 years of those habits, where does that lead? Find someone in your life that's been doing those same habits for 10 years and look at them and decide, is that where you want to be? If it's not where you want to be, then decide, okay, why are you postponing putting this off? Because the mindset I always had was, this is just temporary. I'm just doing this because, you know, when in Rome <laughs> and I knew that I would change my habits and thank God I have the willpower to do that. But I really would ask myself, why are you postponing that change? Why are you, I don't want to say wasting this time because I did learn a lot putting myself in those positions, but I don't think what I learned in those positions is necessarily the apex of what I could have been learning and how much I could have been growing in that time. And the big thing, and maybe I wouldn't understand this still because I don't think I understood it at the time. So maybe telling myself this wouldn't be as powerful as telling myself to map out what these habits look like 10 years down the road. But I think something I understand now that's really powerful to me is every little bit of energy that we have, especially in our late teens, early 20s, is powerful beyond belief compared to the rest of, rest of the energy we have in our life. So it's, it's just this crazy drive that we have. And you can channel that drive into going to the bars and meeting, you know, a hundred people in a weekend and making memories, some that you'll never remember, or you can take that drive and channel it into something that's going to really benefit you in 10 years. Mm. So I know I don't, like I said, I don't think I would have necessarily understood it because I, I had this, this mindset of, well, I'm, I'm practically invincible and I'm always going to be invincible. <laughs> and until I, I'm going to be invincible until I'm not, I guess is the way I viewed it. And it was this, you know, devil may care attitude. And I, I, I would just, I would just ask myself to think about, okay, you know, that people get older, you know, that you're going to lose some of this energy. So really think about how valuable that youthful energy is and think about what could you be putting it to 
that, you know, maybe for starters, um, maybe that half day on Thursday or, or Friday, even that you are using your energy to go, um, you know, to a happy hour. And then that devolves into staying up until, you know, 12, one o'clock in the morning when the bars close down, ask yourself, is that really more valuable than what you could have done with a good night's sleep or with an evening of researching something that you're interested in? Because I was, it's not like I was just roaming around, not interested in anything at that time. I still, I had things I was very interested in and things that I was trying to pursue uh, as far as creating business ideas and, and doing things like I, I was actively trying to do things, but none of those things came to fruition because I was more concerned with putting my energy into things that just led to a good time. Yeah. So there's a, a lot to think about as far as how you allocate your energy and how your habits are going to play out over a, a period of time. And, that's that's what I would focus on telling myself. I would definitely craft those things to be to be very precise telling myself that because even if if I can if if I went back and found myself and was talking to myself at that time, I don't know how much credence I would have given even myself. Mm-hmm. So and I you know, I don't know what that is. Is it just is it just a, a wild like hair ego thing? Like, Oh yeah. Oh, you're absolutely right. That's exactly I, I know, what I it is. I felt the same way where like, I felt entitled to like get the end result as far as like, I don't know, throughout high school and stuff. I was just like, Oh, like I don't care about my health. Like I don't care about anything. Like I'm going to get something, some like down the road, I'm going to be successful. And it's like, dude, you're not doing anything now to be successful. So start doing something now. Um, yeah. You're, yeah. you're absolutely right. You hit it. You hit the nail right on the head. It's definitely an ego. It's a, it's an entitlement issue. Um, and that's, that's a really hard pill to swallow when you realize that there's no, there's no gift basket just waiting at the end. It's, it's something you got to earn. You got to earn everything. And if you don't earn everything, then how satisfied are you really going to be with what you have anyway? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it doesn't really mean as much as if you're just handed anything. But I think college in general and like young men, like I said, it's like a lot of us are, you're thrown into this lifestyle in college and it's supposed to be like the greatest four years of your life or whatever. That's how they like make it up to be like, oh, like parties and all this like stuff. But I think a lot of it, it could be transferred into like different energy. Like, let me... Like this is a time when you're learning stuff new and like you're on your own for your first time for most people. So it should be a time when you're growing and like growing your skills, like learning new stuff you're like interested in. And like for me, it was almost like I kind of like figured that out like midway through school. But I felt like it was like a a rift on the other side that was like pulling me to like want to do just like just chill and just do stuff that wasn't giving me any drive. So I almost think like, it's just a shame that college went to like, just like, I still got good grades and I still felt like I like learned some stuff, but I'm like, 
almost like I could have done more with the whole opportunity. Like as far as like, I don't know, like there's like clubs and stuff I just didn't pursue because I was just like more into this like, oh, let me just like be with people that are like making me feel good, all that. So um, I don't I don't know, but I just it just it just seems interesting that like college went from like this prestigious less um like not everyone could go to it and then now it's just like anyone could go like not really like that beneficial now you have to go to an extra year after like multiple years after to even make a difference because like everyone has their college degree now and i know a lot of it has to do with the whole um like i think loan thing i don't know if you know about that but like can you tell me like how like college got so expensive and like kind of how we got to where we are now as far as college in general. Yeah, it's something that I could definitely learn more about. Um, But the way I understand it is essentially when you, the goal, the initial goal was we need more people in college. And when you have more people coming into college, you need more administrators, you need more teachers. And then you have these administrators and teachers and the college grounds themselves that need all of this operating cost. And then that translates into a price hike initially. And then you have people that are willing to lend money for people who want to go to college. And once you have that, Once you have an established case for lending money, there's no cap on how expensive something can become because no one except the person um, borrowing the money is hurt. The, The more expensive that college got, the better off the lenders were, the better off the school was because they could charge more. And the worse off the general college attendee was. Mm -hmm. And that's at the top of no one's mind. The institution is benefiting. The lenders are benefiting. So why is this a problem? Why, Why isn't this a good thing? We have more money coming to these institutions of higher learning than we've ever had. How could you say this is a bad, bad thing? But in reality, the institution's only as good as the students that come through the institution. And when you have this open door policy, you know, anybody can come as long as you're willing to sign on the dotted line and pay us for the rest of your life. That really brings down the overall level of quality that comes through any school. Mm -hmm. And you also are competing at that point for the best teacher's attention. So you might have a prestigious school that's known for its instructors and its administrators being the best. But if you're not in the top of that university, you're still not getting that top experience. If you're going through just the normal classes, you're still getting a par experience. So not only are the universities, not only do the universities have strata now where you have the top universities the normal universities, and then you have some of the, you know, less expensive, um, everybody, I mean, everybody can get into universities, 
but within those universities now, because of the rise in admissions, except for the, the most elite, of course, you also have this strata of, okay, if I'm not taking the most advanced classes that I can be, I'm not getting the best instruction where in the past it was, I go to this school and I'm on the same course as everyone else. And I'm getting the best instruction mm. from the best in the business, because I know that's why I'm paying to go to this school where now the cost for even that lowest university that you can get into is going to put you in debt. If you don't have any means, when you go, it's going to put you in debt for I don't know, 20, 30 years after you graduate and you've gotten the basic instruction. And that again leads to what you were saying a second ago about how just the basic four-year degree is the norm. Now you, you're not setting yourself apart by showing that you can go to college and finish college. Now you have to go an extra two years for the MBA or, you know, an extra four for a different degree to really set yourself apart and be making the kind of living that you should be making or you were making in the past just from going to everyday standard university. Yeah, I just graduated from Arizona State. So the the nice. um, acceptance rate there is literally like 85 to 90%. And like you said, with like the instruction level, like for electives, you would literally just take courses that are like online courses and they're just like all like all the answers are online. And like yep. that's just the norm for every every elective is just to do the easiest one and not do the one you're interested in. And I literally did that like all throughout my four years until like the last year I was like, oh, like I probably should like try to take like some classes that are like of interest to me for since I'm paying for this degree or whatever. And then like I ended up taking like a Roman history class and I did bad on it because it was just so much harder than like the online classes made my effort level so low. Like I didn't have, to, I could just tune in for like 30 minutes for an entire week or every two weeks. Whereas like this history class, I had to actually read stuff. I had to cite the sources and actually write a paper. And it's like in high school, I honestly had like, I think high school for me was way harder than college just because like I was, I grew up in Connecticut. The public schools are really good here and they worked us. Like we would have homework. We would have to like read stuff and like you could try to slip by, like do your way, like try to like not read and look stuff up online. But you had, you really had to study or you're just going to fail a test. And then like I found in college, like, I barely had to study. Like I could just get by by just winging it. And like, that's not a good example for the rest of your life. That is, no. that you, you put in no effort and you get a degree and they try to celebrate you. Oh, congrats. You got your degree. Like now you're going to go get your job or whatever. But it's like, we're supposed to feel like we did something for a degree. Not just like we looked up answers online. And I almost like challenge people, even though I didn't do it myself and I just graduated. But like, even if you get a worse GPA, you're only cheating yourself by taking these easy classes versus ones that would actually benefit you. And like for the person that's partying every weekend, it's like they're not going to want to take the harder classes. But it's like that's what would then maybe you wouldn't want to go out. You would want to be doing the studying where you're learning something new. 
So I, I don't know if you have an opinion on that, but it's just like, it seems like it's a twisted world where um, we're just going for the easy path in life. Well, and that's, it's the general lowering of the bar. Yeah. So anytime you have this proliferation of lending that allows more and more and more people to come in and be a part of this university system, this prestigious system, then you have to make it to where the lowest quality person can pass and your pass rate can be acceptable because you are a, a federal, you know, a, a public school. So you have to answer to, to certain people, you know, as low as those qualifications are. Um, but you have to have a passing, you have to show that enough people coming through your university can pass. And that's not achieved by lifting people up who otherwise wouldn't have been in college, it's achieved by lowering your standards. Mm -hmm. So those people who wouldn't have been in college in a more difficult era of universities can now pass and can contribute to your quotas that you have as a university. And this whole time, you're making more money, you've got more students, your passing rate is going up because generally, if you lower your standards while bringing in more people, you know, most people are going to pass, you know, it, I, I, to your point, the first few years of my time at uh, university of Mississippi, very little effort, mm -hmm. a lot of effort into making friends and, you know, experiences, which it's uh, the experiences that I were, were having were, a sad excuse for experiences when I've considered the things I've done after college. And I don't mean that to offend anyone that I was, was friends with or still am friends with. It's just the things that we were doing together were a sad excuse for things to do on a weekend. Um, when we could have been doing so much more if we had just been focused on different things and not major shifts in focus either, just like, okay, maybe we don't need to, enhance this time together with any kind of alcohol or anything else maybe we just need to go do something yeah um but anytime you have this this flood of people coming into the college system and you lower the standards at the same time you're you have this perfect storm of the university making more money uh while they lower their standards which is an incentive you know there are definitely administrators out there that in their mind, they tie their success as an administrator to the lowering of standards, the increase in admissions, and the increase in the cost of university at the same time. And that's, to me, that's not good. Mm. That's, that's bad because yeah. you're, instead of bettering the people coming through your university, you're just teaching them bad habits, as you pointed out. Uh, you don't have to put any effort in. You can get by just by showing up. And that we're, I think we're seeing that in our workforce now where a lot of people are just showing up and expecting to succeed in their role because they showed up in college and succeeded in college and put very little effort in. So this, this perfect storm of less quality education with more debt for people that go through this education. It's a, it's a sad state of affairs. And I think it, it really comes and you know, you would, 
I would be lambasted to no end in polite society for suggesting this, but it really comes down to education about debt and what is debt and the consequences of debt. Uh, because, you know, who am I to tell someone they shouldn't pursue their dreams because of debt? Well, yeah, maybe you shouldn't pursue your dreams because of debt. Uh, debt is a bad, bad thing. It's no laughing matter. And as much as the government may talk about um, forgiving your student debt, if it's, if it's, you know, facilitated by the government and you lent, lent if you borrowed it from the government, that um that's a far cry and it's a political it's a it's a it's a political carrot that they hang out in front of voters that is money that's owed to the government and uh, just try owing the government taxes for a year and see how that works out so you're that that's a far cry don't lean on that don't expect that if you're going into college or considering college if you really want to pursue your dreams, sometimes that takes work and maybe the better path now is to get a skilled job for two, three years, save your money and then go to college with that money. Because, you know, what's the difference in being 24 and graduating college with a degree that you love and you're passionate about and being 22 and graduating college with a degree that's not benefiting you more than, look, I have a degree. Also, I think it brings up the point that right when we get done with high school, we really don't know what we want to do. And we're just thrust into going away to college and like figuring out what your major is. But it's like, I think now if I was to go to school, I would be like a little bit more inclined to do something different than what I did. And I think a lot of my friends and people I know in general, they just feel like they were rushed into it. And like you said, if you like went to school and you're like 24, it makes it a little bit more like you have a little bit of time removed. And then if you were then working during that time, you would have like learned a little bit more about, oh, like I really like writing or I really like doing sales. So let me explore those two things. Or obviously there's a million different things you can major in, but it just seems like the whole system is like, okay, you finish high school and it's like, you're expected to now just go to to college. And it's like, I don't know, like you said, I think a different perspective and a different um, trajectory for everyone. I think COVID kind of like opened that up to the fact that like, you don't need to go into the office to work and like make money. You could potentially do stuff like through the internet. So I do think like things are like on the up and like stuff will like eventually hopefully change for the better. But um, yeah, I appreciate that. um, That is, that is one thing as, (laughs) as dire as my co-host Dan likes to um, likes to say that I, I, can get up on a soapbox from time to time. And I definitely can. I can, I can talk and talk and talk and talk. If you, if we get to talking about something that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that always underpins the way I think about things. And I think this is important to have optimism underpinning the way you analyze things and look at things. It's things are going to get better. 
and not because they're just destined to get better, but because we're looking at them and wanting to make them better. And just that alone, if you have enough people that sincerely want to make something better, whether they know what they're doing or not, eventually it's going to get better. You can't, I mean, you might fail the first few times and things might get worse before they get better. But if you keep that drive to make something, to improve something, it's going to improve. And the more people that see that you have a drive to improve things are going to start following you in that attitude and saying, okay, maybe it is better to live with this optimism. Um, you know, and maybe we're just rolling the rock up the hill so that it can roll back down, but who cares? Mm -hmm. At least we're doing something. At least we're rolling it up the hill. So, you know, that I think it's really important whether you're talking about, um, your health and the research that goes into staying healthy in today's world or politics and the research that goes into deciding why are these people talking about this the way they are, um, or, you know, college and lending or any, any issue, no matter what you're talking about, I think it's always important to have the mindset of, okay, if there's a problem here, then it's our duty to try to solve it. And if we try to solve it, it is going to get better. Yeah. And with that, I think that sort of attitude, you need at least like something as far as whether it be like going to church, like meditation or like getting out in nature, like you really need to do something where you're not like just completely like stuck in those negative mind, like mindsets and just kind of, um, able to like reflect and just draw back. So I think that's a big factor for me as far as like how I was able to sit down and be like, all right, I want to improve something. And the way I have to improve it is by like, just like being like with, okay, I've messed up to this point, but now I can try to change things. And um, I don't know. I just think like the power of like the way you think is very um, impactful as far as whether you think something is good or bad. It just kind of happens to be that way. So, yeah, yeah. And we, we really have to be, not only do we have to approach things with an optimistic lens, but we have to be grounded in reality. We can't do things outside of reality. We can't, we can't change nature. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's a fool's errand and we've, you know, some of our scientists and some of our politicians have started trying to make us believe that we can change nature and that everything is just a, a canvas for us to paint on. I think that is, that's dangerous levels of hubris. And the more people, I think we need more and more people to realize that we are products of reality. We have to operate within a realistic frame and when people start, when people in power start telling us that, you know, uh, we can block out the sun and we'd be better for it, that's when I think you, you really need to organize and stand up and say, no, 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 no. Um, you don't represent us because we, we live in reality. And if you want to change nature and change reality, then, um, you, we've got nothing to do with you and you don't need anything to do with us. Mm -hmm. So we have to, you know, 
as much as it may hurt people's feelings, reality is the, there is a base reality and we have to operate within it. And you can, you can find fulfillment. You may think that I have to change everything natural to find fulfillment and be happy in today's world. You don't, you can, you can find happiness operating within reality. And it's, it's, I'm listening to myself say this, and it's crazy to have to say this, but it, it's part of our world where we've gotten so disconnected with nature and we with reality that people actually think that changing their, their very nature is the answer to happiness. And that just shows me how much opportunity there is for showing people that you can't, you can find happiness within, within the framework that we're given within the framework of reality. And it's, you know, for each person it's different, which makes it difficult. There's no, you know, sign up for this course and you'll be happy within the framework of reality. Um, but it's, it's possible. And I think a big part of that is being a good example and showing people that, you know, even though maybe you have these things that have gone wrong, maybe you hold these beliefs and maybe you've had the worst tragedy in the world befall you. Um, acceptance plays a big role in that. And if you can be a good example in accepting the reality of the world you live in, then you can, you can do a lot for improving other people's, especially mental health. Um, because a lot of people don't know how to, to, how to use acceptance as a tool for moving forward. Um, and, and, if you can do that, you can be a really good example for people in how to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think like you said earlier with like the whole energy thing, it's like the way the energy you give off to someone else is, is going to reciprocate back to you. So always trying to make sure that like kind of the ego thing, like you're not so important. Like, I don't know, like try to be like conscious of like the way um, other people are thinking and, their state of mind too. So I enjoy you coming on and thank you for the expertise as far as college politics and like your old younger self. So I think it was, it, it was good for me to like, kind of like reflect on that whole college thing. Cause I always kind of had that bottled up, but I don't know, it just came out. So <laughs> thank you, man. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And like I said, at the beginning, I, I owe you another show. So Anytime you need a guest or want me back on, you just let me know. All right. But thank you, man. All right, Luke. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening through this episode. It was an important one for me because I just graduated college. And I think I got a lot of stuff off my chest as far as the state of college. And I think a lot of young men would really enjoy listening to this one and taking accountability for their life because... Yes, college is a great time to live on your own and make some new experiences, but you also have to think about what you wanna do when you're done with those four years and not just push it off for the four years that you're in college, but start to think about that as soon as you graduate from high school. So, yep, more episodes in the future and I am really excited for the future guests that I'll have on, so thank you guys.